Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Steel Target Paid Podcast. Of course, I'm Jeff Jones. And I'm Steve Foster. Hey, Steve, you know what? Um, we didn't get much of a reaction uh, last week to my new opening, so I came up with another one. You want to hear it? I, I do, Jeff, but reaction, maybe you didn't get the reaction you had expected. Let's say it that way. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But Okay, okay, hold on. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Oh, the steel's a ringin'. Sometimes it's a dingin'. Please make Jeff stop singing. It's time for the Steel Target Podcast, where everybody shoots fast. Here's Steve and Jeff with hints to help you climb. What do you think? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I may need to let that one marinate just a little bit longer than the last one. <laughs> Well, everybody, you know, it's just fun. I have a lot of fun doing this. Steve and I like to joke about a lot, so uh, I, hope, uh, I hope I didn't break anybody's speakers or eardrums on that. Uh, if I did, I apologize, um, and uh, we're going to get into the show. How's that sound? Let's do it, Jeff. All right, so we're uh, picking up on part two of the uh, podcast uh, Facebook page questions that were given to us. We've got here one from Nick Brandt, again, Revolving Practice. And Nick says... Um, can you talk about the innovative home practice ideas and tools, such as the guys who make the stickers for the walls, uh, miniature parts, uh, trot and two methods for practice? So, you know, we, not too long ago, we had Bill Duda on the show, and he's come up with the dry fire. Um, I don't know if stickers is the right word, because they're really not necessarily stickers. Uh, but um, I think, Steve, you know a little more about them. Why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, Bill and the folks at Go Fast Don't Suck, they, um, they do a lot of great stuff outside of their Instagram and Facebook memes that are absolutely hilarious 99% of the time. <laughs> yeah, the ones that aren't funny, <laughs> yeah, but the ones that aren't funny are because they hit home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> At least for me. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so uh, Bill and his group there put together these uh, dry fire decals that uh, you could put on your put on your wall. I don't know if it's been raining down there, Jeff, but here in the state of Georgia, today it rained. Uh, Saturday and Sunday we didn't have rain, but I think the 48 days prior to that we had rain. So even if you do have a home range, I know, Jeff, I had to bring it up too early, it's okay. too soon. It's okay. No, no, no. It's, I've, you know, I, I used to get a tick and, 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 and wince every time I heard that, but I've gotten past that. But if you sounds <laughs> like it, you're making progress. That's a good thing. I used to be able to hear you throwing stuff in the background, kicking stuff over. Uh, but anyway, to uh, to use those um, sorts of decals inside when it's raining so much and you don't have access to the rain can certainly help, especially from a center fire perspective. Um, the other thing I think we talked a little bit on the podcast that I really like about those uh, those decals that you put on the wall, it gives you the right um, depth perspective of the size of the targets. I was talking this weekend with a couple of folks about roundabout. People think that each of the five shots are the same speed. No, the two back plates are definitely, you, t you take a little bit longer period of time on those plates because it, once you get his kit, you see that the front two plates are like three times the size, and you don't think about that when you're on a range. So I think from a dry fire perspective, they they certainly help. And uh, you know what? They're very, very affordable as well. Well, you know, the interesting thing about those 
those decals, and that was the word I was looking for, so thank you for that, is uh, Go Fast, Don't Suck is a sponsor of the West Florida Steel Challenge Championships, and uh, he sent down, I think, at least eight different, eight full sets of the dry fire decals. So we're going to be giving those away as uh, prizes at the West Florida match. So, Bill, thank you for that. And anybody that's coming down, there's your chance to win some dry fire. Nick, you and Ella came down last year. Hope to see you again this year. So maybe you win one of those. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about other kinds of practice uh, before we get into what I consider to be the best kind of practice. Um, do you dry fire, Steve? You know, Jeff, I don't do that too much. When I'm working on maybe my open holster or my open draw of a holster or carry optics or a single stack, that's the probably the limit of dry firing that I do is trying to really work on the draw. Agreed, but and I, that's exactly I, where I was going to go too. Um, I actually, uh, with the AMG Labs timer, you can set the sensitivity so light that it will pick up the click of the hammer dropping on an open gun. And I set it up so the timer was under where I would be drawing the gun out. And so I could actually, it wasn't just beating the time. I actually knew what my time was. Um, the interesting thing is it's always faster at home than when you get on a range. Um, but it's good practice. Well, think, it's good repetition practice. Well, I think the other thing that happens, I don't think there's a substitute necessarily for going on the range and having that small explosion in your hand because there's a recoil impulse that happens. There's, uh, you know, a visual impulse that happens. And I, I think that if you supplement some of your uh, live fire practice, dry fire practice, it can certainly help out. If you're a novice shooter, maybe a D or C class shooter, and you're having a diff difficult time from the low ready and coming up on the first plate, I think that is definitely applicable uh, for dry fire type practice. But if you're a master class shooter, you want to become a grandmaster from uh, a gun that's in the low ready. You know, I think that could help you a little bit. But I really think uh, you need to work on stages, specifically shoot steel challenge. Work on stages to get better with uh, with an AMG timer, where you can, uh, you know, track your progress and and measure your first shots and your transitions and all that kind of stuff. So true, so true. You know, um, I was at the range not too long ago and I was practicing accelerator, and I had two runs back to back, and they both felt about the same, and they were a quarter of a second different. Both of them were one-for-one one runs, but there was a quarter of a second difference in the, in the runs. And I'm like, man, that, that didn't feel that much different. Well, when I went back and looked at the splits, it turns out that on the second run, I was dogging to plate number four. I wasn't snapping over to plate number four. I was just kind of gliding across the, state, the bay uh, and picking up that target. And that was very telling in that, you know, you can't do that or you're going to lose time. Everything costs you time. So uh, that's a really good point. So, yeah, I'm with you, Steve. I think, you know, the dry fire can help, definitely helping your draw with a center fire gun coming out of a holster, getting used to have that hand come down out of low ready, where you're going to grip the gun, establishing that grip. But nothing beats the live fire practice. You really can't, you really can't beat it. Because, again, like you said, that impulse, that recoil, um, the actual transition to the gun, and quite frankly, knowing whether you're missing or not, because we all go one for one if you're shooting dry fire at home. 
but that's also what's happened at the range. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, Nick, thanks for that question. All right, our next one, uh, a topic Steve and I have talked about uh, personally uh, and something he's, he's really helped me and a lot of other shooters on. It comes from Lorio Rear, and uh, she says she'd like to hear about how a shooter can mentally and physically uh, prepare for uh, what she says is between multiple disciplines, which for Steel Challenge could mean between the multiple guns. And, you know, managing things like speed versus accuracy and so forth. So, Steve, why don't you give us some of your theories on this? Well, I'll talk a little bit more about the mental side of the game. I think that whenever I work with students when they come to training and all that kind of stuff, it's really important to find out what their shooting tendency is. And a lot of it, their tendency, some of it's physical. Um, there's physical things that we can correct and you know, maybe it's stance, maybe it's how they position, maybe it's, you know, hand placement, arm placement, those types of things. But oftentimes what happens is more of a mental side of the game that a lot of people need to work on. So everybody's got a shooting tendency, and that's what we need to figure out what what their tendency is. And, and I think how you go about doing that is, is, is look at the stages that you're struggling on or maybe you're not as good as you would like to be. And sometimes it comes down to setting up a camera because if you're shooting, it's, had this discussion this weekend, it's, it's, I never, you know, they said, oh my goodness, you know, you're so fast and shooting roundabout. It's like, well, I'm just shooting roundabout because, you know, I'm the one doing it, so I can't see myself shooting. And so that's why I use the, the power of videotaping from time to time, especially to make a certain point, because sometimes, you know, somebody's got a little hitch in their giddy up or they're dipping the gun or they're doing this or that. And I'll use video to reinforce those points if um, they don't change the behavior to make it uh, to make things faster, so so I think that um, I, I've thought a lot about this and I've put out a couple of articles and I'm sitting on one right now that I'll release. Um, but I released an article called "The Foster Fact that talks about the panic that happens because for whatever reason a lot of us have a common tendency that we don't think that we can shoot nearly as fast as what we should be shooting. And so what we're doing is we're going over the edge or we're trying to shoot past our capability because we think we need to be shooting faster. But if you see the dot on every single target and you pull the trigger, you're actually, you have that sensation that you feel like you're shooting slow, but you're actually shooting, um, you know, a faster time than what the, the timer says. And so one of the concepts I'm going to introduce in an article, I don't know if it's going to be uh, tomorrow or the next day, but here in the next couple of days, maybe the timing of this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, a targeted edge, and so I'm going to talk about percentages and you know how to scale things back and and those kind of things. And it, it's not the concept of you know you need to shoot slow because slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Oh, I hate um, that. Oh, we, oh, oh, I we, hate that. We, we've <laughs> talked we've talked about this at a hundred times. Hundred times is you know slow is it's slow. It's slow, and that's exactly. not what we're talking about. It, in every target requires a proper sight picture to, to pull the trigger. But sometimes you need to take down your your you need to turn down the dial a little bit to get your one for one hits because how many times have you started out a stage and on the first string you miss a target or you have a pickup on a target what happens to the rest of the the rest of the strings on the stage it's a little bit tough to come back from and so the reason why I share this whole you know you got to dial it back and dial it up and take make calculated decisions but you got to make sure you put yourself in that particular um, 
uh, opportunity where you can dial it up and make that conscious thought of, hey, I need to go for this or I, I need to do this or that. I'm telling you what, 100%, you know, Chris Barrett or Grant or myself or, you know, fill in the name, we're never shooting 100% on every single string of fire if we're winning matches. That, it's just a fact. We're in complete control and until we're not. And if you turn that dial past that edge or that 100%, um, once in a while you get away with it and sometimes you get that false sense of security that you know what you're you're hit you're hitting that uh, maybe 110 percent no 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 you just you got lucky because you shot that stage a million times and if you didn't see that front left plate on roundabout you can get away with it a couple times but you won't get away with it a hundred percent of the time and so I, I think you need to dial play around with that dial first number one you got to know that there's a dial there and number two, you got to get up there and shoot at like a targeted edge of let's say 85% of your capability and go one for one and that helps build confidence because as soon as you go one for one on that first string, you want to reach for the dial and turn it up and sometimes that may not necessarily be the best uh, the best idea. Sometimes you may need to get another 85% run before you dial up to 90 or 95% um, and then if you go and turn it too far, your fundamentals break down and you miss a target or you have a pickup, then in order to score well, you've got to dial that, you got to dial it back to uh, the score well. But I think a lot of it comes from going one for one and having the confidence that you're going to hit what you're, uh, what you're aiming at. So I think from a mental aspect, it, it's, it's a pretty simple com, uh, concept, at least in my mind it's simple. It's a little bit tougher to apply, but just know that the fundamentals of marksmanship will help you whether you're shooting bullseye or you're shooting, you know, steel challenge or what have you. I think I shared about this, shared this before. Maybe it was an article I wrote. Is that one of the best things that happened to me a couple of years ago for steel challenge is when my daughter wanted to shoot a bow and arrow. And you know why, Jeff? It's because I had to I had to concentrate on holding my position with the bow to release the arrow hit the center of the target and right after that I was having issues with speed option I set up speed option on plate number two I remembered shooting the bow that in order to hit that target I needed to study on that target for just a split second before I released the arrow and then it went from missing plate number two to hitting it a hundred percent of the time so regardless of what discipline you're shooting it's it's really a mental game and you got to get your mind right around how you do things and how you do things at speed and being able being able to be in complete control of what you're uh, of what you're shooting and be able to dial it up and dial it back when needed yep you know here's here's a good question for you steve um think back to the last time you didn't shoot that well i don't know the, i don't want to know the match but it happened correct yeah i mean there's been in, in the the specific time that I'm thinking of when you said that was actually a practice session I, I had at my house shooting roundabout about six weeks ago, seven weeks okay. ago. Okay, great, great. So my point here is, here it is six weeks later, can you change what happened then? Absolutely the answer is no, not. you can't change the past. You can't change the past. You can learn from it, and I'm sure you have, but you can't change what happened. And this is the thing I try to get 
a point across to the, the, the kids that I'm training and the people I talk to is that if you go up there and you have that bad string or bad stage, you can't change it. And if you think you're going to get the, I, I heard somebody say, well, I'm going to get that time back on the next stage. Well, if you could have, if you think you could have shot that, that coming up stage faster and you're going to make up that time, why weren't you doing that to begin with? You know, every, to me, everybody's got a peak time for that day that they're going to shoot. We just don't know what it is until the end of the match. You know, I don't think Chris was going in going, okay, I, I, feel, a, I feel a 59 today. He went in there and he used all of his skills and he was able to get to the 59, but that was the best he was going to shoot that day because that's what he shot. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but you, you've got to have that mentality. I did it for three guns this weekend, um, shooting the Ultimate Steel Challenge match over at uh, Volusia. Greg Kirsch put it on. A lot of fun. Uh, one gun, I, they, they, somebody should have just come up and said, give me this, you're not allowed to shoot this gun anymore, and just put it away, because it was horrible. And I couldn't stay focused. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that happens. Um, the other thing that, you know, you taught me a long time ago, and I think a lot of people could benefit from this, is know on each stage for each gun what is your average peak time what is your what is the time so let's keep it simple if you shoot an eight second roundabout if that's your your best time you've ever shot roundabout whatever gun you're shooting your average string is two seconds if you go up there on your first string and you throw a one eight don't try to go faster than the next string <laughs> you know uh I said it all time this weekend, just be boring and do it again. You know, so many times people think they got to shoot that first string. Oh, I shot this. Now I got to shoot faster. I got to shoot faster. And I got to shoot faster. And if you follow your 85, 95, 100, 110 methodology and you're doing it, that works great. But if you come out there and you end up getting a fortunate first run and you burn it down, if you're a two-second shooter on roundabout, and you just threw a 1.8, that's great, but you're really going to be outside your comfort zone if you're going to be throwing, if you're trying to throw a 170 or a 165. So know what your splits are, know what your, not your splits, know what your, your average stage time is for each gun, and just have an idea, and go, okay, you know, I'm averaging two seconds on this, so if I throw a 210, ah, I'm right where I need to be, now I can step it up a little bit, but if you throw that 180, don't try to go faster. You're, you're, you're going to end up, I think, missing more than, more than not. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, anytime, anytime somebody lays down a blistering run, I always tell them, I said, be careful, because in the back of their head, it says, and I'm going to name this at some point, um, maybe I'm going to call it a Jones, that <laughs> that you've got that false sense of security of hey I just shot this great one and your natural disposition is is to speed it up so you know you're jonesing for more yeah <laughs> uh, hey, you're jonesing I, for more it, it, we talked you, about we won't we won't go through the whole story but we've talked about the Georgia match two years ago oh yeah and oh, yeah. you know I ripped yeah. that last string and oh yeah it was a one three eight on Smoke and Hope and mm -hmm. you went yeah and three misses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it didn't yeah. matter. 
you know. But but there's there's something that happens in the back of our heads that say, hey, you know, I just I just slayed one, and you know, this next one's going to be faster. And no, you may have gotten away with one, and maybe your dial was up over a hundred percent, and you got lucky. But be able to do that two, three, four, five times in a row is just not repeatable. Right. So one thing that I want to talk, uh, touch on uh, part of her question, too, is she talks about the, the, the physicality of shooting. Um, now, you've been shooting for a while, and you're comfortable shooting two guns a session, two sessions a day for two days straight. You're used to doing that. You're yeah, comfortable with that. And you're able to perform at the level you want to perform at doing that. Um, and I think a lot of people, they go to matches and they go, okay, I'm, I'm traveling, you know, six hours to this match. I want to get the most opportunity to shoot, so I'm going to shoot six guns. And they come home and they realize they didn't shoot any of them any good. And certain guns can go well with each other. I think any, any of the rifles go well together, especially like a PCCO and a rimfire rifle um, optic. I mean, they, you know, same plat, you know, rifle platform with a dot. Um, you know, I think it would be very difficult to go out there and shoot an open gun and turn around and shoot a limited gun or a single stack or any other iron sight centerfire guns. Uh, the, it's, it, the sight pictures are so different. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. Anybody who does that successfully, that's awesome. I can't. Um, but you have to decide what is your goal for this match. If your goal is to go have a great time, shoot a lot of guns, then don't look at the score. And that's okay. But if your goal is to perform, you might want to consider dropping down the number of guns you shoot in a session, unless you feel you're performing at your peak when you do that. Um, Steve, you're signed up for the World Shoot. How many guns you shoot at the Worlds? Yeah, I'm shooting five this year, and I shot six last year. Two a okay, session. and for, so for the five you're shooting this year, how many sessions is that across? Uh, that's through three sessions. So I'm doubling up on two, and then uh, one I'm going to shoot on the Super Squad for Rim Fire Rifle Open. Excellent. Well, I'm shooting five guns as well. I made a decision to shoot one gun per session because I can't stay focused on two guns to perform at the level I want to perform at, at the Worlds. I'm fortunate. I w I'm able to get the time off. It's going to cost me one extra day in a hotel compared to what I would normally do, so it's not a big deal. I looked at it and went, that's worth the investment. I know some people can't do that, but these are the things you got to think about because three days of shooting, well, actually three sessions of shooting, I mean, it, I'm, I'm guessing at the end of that second session, you're ready to put the guns away, get your ears out, put your regular glasses on, and, you know, Go sit down and have food. You're not ready to shoot another gun. You need some downtime at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of it does come out of, you know, necessity just from, a, hey, I want to shoot that bunch, but I don't want to take X amount of time, time off or, you know, I only got so much vacation time, there's so many matches and family vacation time and all that kind of stuff. So, absolutely. you know, it's uh, that, that, that's kind of the 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 trade-off, if you will, but Chris and I were talking this about this probably six, seven months or so ago, and uh, he moved to go to shoot one gun per session, and, per session, and he finds that he's more focused, and 
and it, it's working for him. So I don't necessarily think there's a right or, right or wrong answer, but I would encourage you to try it. If, it's, uh, if one is the answer for you, then, uh, then have at it for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and again, like I said, if you want to shoot two guns, if, you know, again, set your goals for the match. Um, is it perform? Is it have a good time? I mean, there's definitely been matches where I've gone to, um, not the world's, but other matches where it's like, I'm just going to go see my friends, have a good time. And I'm not going to worry about the scores. I'm just going to have a good time. And I might shoot two guns, two sessions in a row. Um, again, like you said, everybody's got to find that balance. So lastly, the one thing I would point out, we've talked about this a lot. Um, never rely on a range um, to provide you anything other than a safe place to shoot and restrooms. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we're usually out there for four hours. Um, based on where you're shooting, it could be hot or cold. Um, be prepared for those things because that can take a physical toll on you. Steve and I, two years ago, Georgia match, 37 degrees, gloves, scarves, hand warmers in with the ammo, keeping the rimfire ammo warm. Um, we were prepared, and a lot of people were, and some people weren't, and it showed when their guns didn't run or their ammo didn't run. Um, I've always got a bottle of water and a little snack with me in my cart at all times just in case, because you've been on those squads, you know, it should take about four hours, but hey, sometimes it takes four and a half or five hours, and you start getting a little hungry. That's something in your mind that wasn't there before. So again, how do you combat that? Have a little something, have a little snack, whatever it happens to be. I don't recommend anything heavy. I don't recommend anything big sugary, you know. But again, you got to find out what that is for each of you. But I like to always have a bottle of water, and a little snack with me so I don't run into those those problems and a lot of ranges will provide you water they don't usually provide you snacks some of them have you know concession stands or, or food vendors there and, and that's great but never try to rely on that always try to prepare for yourself and Jeff you let me piggyback on that just for a quick second because you know uh, talking about the water specifically especially in the I would say in the south southeast I was in a match, um, let's just say not in the southeast, and it was abnormally warm, and there wasn't any water on the range. Mm -hmm. And so, I, yeah, it wasn't that time of the year, but any time, um, that's one of the reasons why I have a range tactical gear cart is because I can haul everything besides my sofa on that cart. So I always have a cooler, got my diva fan, umbrella, you know, parts and ammo and guns and all that kind of stuff. But it's important to have something that you can uh, just don't bank on water being available because you can get yourself in some pretty dicey situations before you know it, um, being out in the blazing heat, shooting all day with a lot, not a lot of shelter or cover. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thanks, Larry, for that question. Um, the next one comes from Tony Rosenzweig, and... Um, I don't know if we're necessarily going to go deep into this because we've, uh, he, he, he asks if we could do more product reviews um, and in-depth equipment reviews, um, uh, maybe a, a podcast talking about uh, getting equipment for the new steel shooter. Um, 
you know, Steve, we've talked to a lot of companies, Steel Target Paint, Hunter's HD Gold. They were, you know, early adopters on the podcast and, 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 and you know, Larry was on first. And I think Brian was on third, uh, but JP Tandem Cross, and we could go down the list. Um, I think we both need to open up our Rolodexes and, um, and schedule some more uh, companies to get on and, and, and talk about their products. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I had a brief discussion. Um, I, I had an opportunity to head over to P&R Ammo up in uh, Gainesville, north of Atlanta. Let me tell you, you don't want to do that after work. That 85 north is horrible. It's, uh, they've got the Georgia Peach Pass, like some, some states have that. Um, you know, that uh, toll road or the optional toll road, I think it was like 10 bucks to get up there because traffic was so bad. Oh, I was up geez. there visiting with, yeah, it was crazy, with Patrick and PNR Ammo, and he was telling me the story of how him and his business partner uh, got started. I said, look, man, I said, when you're ready, you let me know. We'll have you on the podcast. But it was great to tour a great local company like that that is making some of the best uh, centerfire ammunition out on the market. They do retail other uh, other ammunition, um, so if you want something that um, somebody else made or they've got what I call ninja killers up there, I'll have to look. I took a picture. I'll post it later on. I mean, these self-defense rounds, oh, my goodness. They, uh, they're they fairly expensive, but, you know, I've got to pick some up for uh, for my uh, carry gun. But anyway, Patrick and PNR. They're making some great stuff. I'll see if I can get that, those guys out on the podcast. I know I've been posting the last week or so about I, I think I found the magic, and it, it's interesting over the course of time. You know, people say, oh, yeah, it's the bullet, it's, it's the powder, it's this, it's this. And No, it's kind of like a combination. It's like a, it's like a big math uh, equation that you get the right bullet, you get the right powder, and then you get the right buffer. My JPPCC... It's a, with that ultra-lightweight barrel. I'm running the three tungsten weights, two uh, stainless steel weights, the 135-grain PNR ammo. Yeah, had a couple people this weekend come over. Oh, no, I got, I got my stuff dialed in and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you think you do. And uh, I took the buffer, my bolt out of my gun, put it in their non-JP gun. I gave them some of the 135-grain ammo, pulled the trigger once, was like, how much did you say this stuff is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, true, true story. Um, and, ba and, and Ben and I did a video, but uh, true story, he sold out of that 135-grain ammo um, on, I think it was right after we did the video. So he, uh, <laughs> I sent him a text. I said, yeah, we posted this video. He sent me a, a text back. He said, oh, no, I know. <laughs> he, he, uh, he sold out. So I said, man, you better get busy. uh on those machines, and he said, "No, I, I hear you." So, but we'll we'll get we'll get some more of those types of folks out there, and and uh, I know Jeff and I are always in the pursuit of what's the the best out there. We can talk about carry optic guns and PCCs and rimfire rifles and rimfire pistols, and you know it's not just because I'm sponsored by some of these companies. I believe that in order to for me to have an advantage in the competitive market, I need to shoot what's the best available out on the market. Um, so if something's holding me back or, or, or what have you, I need to have what I believe at the time is, is the best on the market to make, me, um, to make me as good of a shooter as I, as I can be. And I would say with the, uh, 
with the buffer, JP buffer system, the short stroke system with this ammunition. Oh man, it's it's a double-edged sword, though, right, Jeff? No, Absolutely. Other people are going to be other people are going to be using it, but hey, that's fine too. You know, I I've never been one of those types of people that's holding back and not sharing information. You know, if it helps somebody else out, that's great. And certainly, hopefully, I can help support some of the companies that not only support me, but also support the sport as well. And that's and that's the, some of the companies that we're talking about that we've aligned both myself as well as the Steel Target Paint Shooting family with. Absolutely. You know, we got another question here uh, from Jeremy Boutwell um, uh, asking questions about the, the new switch bolt rifle. And um, we're getting close to going to wrap this one up. Both Steve and I have got to move on to some things tonight. Um, but I think we're going to talk about that uh, and, and, and possibly get Magnum Research on as well, Steve, and, and actually have them talk about the switch bolt. You can talk about, I know you've posted some of your uh, uh, thoughts of what you've had to have done uh, for it, maybe some modif you know, you'd had to do some, I think, modifications based on the kind of stock you were running, which is not a dig on the gun at all. That kind of stuff is expected. Everything doesn't always fit with everything, and you've got to make, you've got to make minor modifications. So uh, we can talk about that as well. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to, to give a rundown. So the whole Magnum Research conversation is pretty interesting. Um, friends with John Nagel, and he started shooting a Magnum Research gun a couple years back. I don't know if it's three or four years ago. And I said, what the heck is that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, oh, it's a Magnum Research gun. Why don't you try it? And I'm like, oh, so what, what makes this different than all the others? And, and so we got into a conversation about that. And then re more, most recently... Um, Chris Barrett's been shooting a Magnum Research switch bolt uh, for the last couple of seasons, and so I had a chance to, they, they sent a couple of guns to Chris, and we were uh, messing around with them and doing some practicing and testing and all that kind of stuff. I was so impressed with the rifle that I wrote, uh, I wrote a review that got published through Magnum Research, and I'm happy to announce that I will be shooting the Magnum Research Switchbolt Rifles for the 2020 season. Really, really excited about the opportunity because they are a full-blown custom shop. I know a lot of people like who the heck's Magnum Research. They're owned by Car Arms, so a lot of people know who Car Arms is. They also know uh, what the Desert Eagle is. They know what Auto Ordnance is, um, the Tommy Guns, and those kind of things. And so it's one parent group, but Magnum Research makes... All, all their material or all their uh, parts, their own receiver, their bolts, um, their own barrels—they're all made. Um, they're all made in-house, and it is top-notch stuff. So here's one of the. So why aren't more people shooting Magnum Research rifles? Great question. When asking around, <laughs> in the general you didn't give industry, me a chance to yeah, ask right? it, Steve. But you know, I'm I, know, you ask I, know. I know. I <laughs> know. Hey, that's how I roll, Jeff. But that, that was the biggest uh, issue because if a lot of people aren't shooting them, what does that tell you? Is it reliability? Is it function? Is it, you know, aesthetics? Is it, you know, what, what is it exactly? And so um, spending, spending time with Chris and then certainly with John, the, there was quite a few jams that were happening with the, with the gun. I'm like, what the heck is all this all about? And so, come to find out, it had a bench-style chamber, which is definitely more, more for precision. It's a tighter, tighter chamber. And so, through some testing and some communication with Magnum Research, we had them open up the, the chambers. 
I'm not a technical guy, but it's probably two two thousandths of an inch. Right. So it's just I I I don't know what a um, strain of hair is probably four thousandths of an inch or something like that. So that's you know half of that's how much they opened it up, but it was just enough for the recreational sport action shooters that we are to get reliability. And yeah, so shooting, shooting was, I mean, Chris is shooting yeah. some strings in the one fours and, 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 and I'm sure sometimes lower and, uh, those guns initially weren't set up to, to basically feed that fast is what it sounds like. Well, and there were tighter tolerances and look, there's ammo, ammo manufacturers out there. If you're going to run gold bullets or maybe another inexpensive ammunition, these guns are, you know, they're tuned for this spec and, if you had some bullets that were out of spec, well, you got to open yep. it up a little bit for reliability. And then if you're shooting 500 rounds, there's a little carbon that gets in there, so on and so forth, you could have a little bit of a drag on uh, spent casing and flow down the bolt and so on and so forth. So uh, I've got two rifles from Magnum Research, and I've got probably 600 through one, another 500 through another, having cleaned them, and they're running like sewing machines. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, we'll so definitely have to get them it. on. I'd love to hear their story. I think uh, a lot of people are interested in that. You know, a little background. I'm I'm interested to hear the story on PNR, and and how they got together. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of videos online of of ammo being made. Uh, I find it very interesting. I do load my own, but that doesn't mean. In fact, I just did get some of the the PNR 135 sample. Um, have yet to run it through my gun, but looking forward to doing that. Because uh, I'm not against. Uh, you know, buying ammo if it's the right thing. Yeah, so back to the switchbolt real quick, Jeff. I mean, you know, there'll be more information, pictures and videos coming out. Um, I've got a cool carbon fiber barrel on one that's, uh, that's got a red and black weave, and the other one's a straight carbon, they call it a carbon barrel. It's like a carbon fiber style, but the switchbolt, uh, you can take the handle off of one side, put it on the other. If you're right-handed, you can have it on one side or left-handed for, for the other side. And uh, so what, what, was, what you got to be careful of is not all stocks are relieved on the left side for a left side charging handle. And so right. I had to make some modifications to one of my stocks. So, uh, no, it's, um, it's high-quality product, and it is, it is um, at a great affordable price as well. Good stuff. Well, Steve, uh, a couple of weeks ago, didn't you write an article uh, on, you know, starting out in Steel Challenge? I did, Jeff. Well, you know, I got, I a, uh, I got a messenger uh, request from uh, our good friend Wendy Chiante. Um, she's involved. Uh, oh, i got to remember the, late, the, the name of the group. Hold on. I've got to go to the message because I, I want to get it right. It is the, uh, where is it, 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 something militia. Uh, <laughs> I can't find it now. It's um, like Minix militia or something like that. Uh, I'm scrolling, scrolling, we talk too much, I talk too much. Uh, the Minx militia, that's it, the Minx militia. Um, and she had a question uh, uh, to see if we could talk about, you know, uh, I guess a lot of the, the women in the Minx Militia are getting into Steel Challenge, coming over from different disciplines, and, and what it would take uh, and, and what they should expect and, 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 you know, suggestions to them. So uh, 
you know, maybe we can take what you did in that article and expand it into another episode and, uh, uh, and help other people. Cause you know, we're, you know, we're getting new people all the time involved in the sport. Hopefully they're picking up the podcast and, you know, I, I appreciate it. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people this weekend at the match and a lot of people are like, you have a podcast. How do I find it? Then I told them, so everybody that's out there listening, you know, if all you told just one person, uh, about the podcast that's shooting that maybe not is listening to it, uh, that would easily double our, our, uh, our listener count. And I'll tell you right now, that has nothing to do. This is not a monetized. We don't, Steve and I don't make a dime on this and we don't want to make any money on this. This is about getting information out. This is a passion of both of ours and this is for fun. Um, don't get me wrong. We'd like to get to more people, but we don't take any money for this. Uh, in fact, it costs Steve and I a little bit of money because we bought equipment to make sure we were recording well. And so uh, don't think we're trying to make any money on this because we're not. Uh, but if you could tell people about it and, uh, and tell them how to get to our podcast page, uh, that would be great. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate the, the support from the shooting community. Uh, we appreciate the positive feedback, and we'd also appreciate it if you, if you like what we're doing, help share it with, uh, share it with others. Absolutely. All right, Steve. Well, we got to cut this one off. It's, uh, it's a good one. Uh, actually, one of our shorter ones at less than an hour. Uh, you know, you and I get talking about guns and steel, and it could go on for days. <laughs> That is a true statement. Well, listen, everybody, you have a great night when you're listening to this. I uh, hope all is, everything is well. I uh, hope you go one for one and uh, have great matches ahead. Looking forward to see you at the, at the ranges. If you do find me, uh, I'm the loud guy in the floppy hat. Come by and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Can't miss them. <laughs> all right. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Thanks.